The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. In December 2017 in Australia, the cervical screening test replaced what we commonly call the pap test. Cervical cancer is one of the most preventable cancers women can die from, and a routine cervical screening test can save a woman's life. Many cases of cervical cancer can be caused by HPV. This is the biggest risk factor for cervical cancer, so it's really important we screen for HPV in healthy women through a cervical screening test. Today on MediTalk, I speak with Dr. Stuart Selfinger, who is a gynaecologic oncologist, to talk about cervical screening. When we talk about screening generally, we're talking about testing asymptomatic people for the presence of a disease that we otherwise wouldn't know about. So they're programs designed at looking at healthy individuals, so people who don't have any symptoms. And when we're talking about cervical problems, we'll be talking about abnormal bleeding or discharge or or other problems. So we're talking about testing people who don't have any of these symptoms to see if they do have anything uh, that's of concern or worry from that point of view. So, and that's why it's important for people to realise that screening isn't about, I feel well, so I don't need this. It's about testing people who are well so that we can then investigate and identify uh, diseases at very early stages. And why was the screening program introduced into Australia? Uh, so basically, when we look at cervical cancer, there's a very long pre-cancer stage um, before you actually get a cancer. Um, we know that cervical cancer is almost always caused by the HPV virus, um, which we're now vaccinating people against. Mm. And because the disease has that long pre-cancer stage that we can actually detect and treat very easily, um, we can then reduce the incidence of cancers by detecting women before they actually have a cancer when they've just got pre-cancer changes and t- treat them effectively and reduce the chance of that going any further. Mm. Um, the screening program in Australia has been around for quite a long time now. Um, and we've seen very significant reductions in the actual incidence of cervical cancer and the deaths from disease. So as well as decreasing the, the chance of women getting disease because we're detecting it earlier, uh, because we're actually finding the cancers early, we're also then getting them at a stage that they're much easier for us to treat. So that's the importance of, of screening and being able to intervene at a very early stage. Um, I guess most topical at the moment is the recent changes that we've had in the cervical screening. And some of us are a bit confused. I mean, we would have got the letter in the post if we were on the program, but perhaps you could clarify the changes that's happened. They they can be a bit confusing. And I I mean, I do this a lot and (laughs) I find them confusing myself at times. (laughs) And and rest assured, lots of people have found the change to the new system confusing. So previously we used to do what we were calling a pap smear, um, which we used to do every two years. Um, And our GPs are very good at prompting us, you know, with a letter sometimes to come in and... Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a good chance to just have an opportunistic check of uh, other health problems as well. Um, So two years ago, or three years ago now, in 2017, we changed to a new screening program 
for cervical cancer. Um, and it's now just called the Cervical Screening uh, program. Um, and what is involved is very, very similar um, to a pap smear test, except for now, whereas the pap smear test was just looking at cellular changes, we're now able to look for the virus changes, so the HPV virus, which is actually the precursor to any cell changes at all. So we're kind of checking for things a step earlier than we were getting before. And there's two parts to the test now. So we're testing simply for the presence of the virus. So if you've got the virus, then you're more likely to have cell changes. If you don't have the virus, you're very unlikely to have any cellular changes. So it's very, very safe. Any women who have the virus detected on their cervical screening test will then automatically, without the doctor or anyone having to do anything, have that smear looked at for any cell changes as well. Okay, so it's more a pathology back end of office of change in that we as the patient might not notice anything different because mm. it's still a pap smear, but the pathologist is looking for other things in terms uh, of... Well, for the same cell changes that we were looking for before, but we're also doing that upfront testing for the virus change, uh -huh. which is sort of like the precursor or the step that comes before any cell changes. So we're actually potentially able to detect things even earlier wow. and detect those women who are at risk. And I guess what that's meant is because we can detect things at that earlier stage before mm. there's any cell changes, if women don't have the virus, we can then very safely say, the risk of you developing a cervical cancer is extremely low. Mm. And as such, women who, and the standard screening interval now with uh, our screening program has gone out to five years. Oh, so okay. much more attractive than having a, a pap smear test every two years to have that True. five yearly screening uh, interval if you have a negative HPV. So if, that, if we test you for the virus on your cervical screen and that comes back negative, then you'll be able to go to a five yearly screening interval. We know that HPV virus, so the virus that causes all these mm. changes, is very, very common. And the majority of women will get it at some stage. In mm. fact, we know that 80% of people have had HPV exposure um, within the first six months of becoming sexually active. That's quite so high, isn't it? It's kind of like the common cold of sexual yeah. activity. If you've had sex, more than likely you've had the HPV virus at some okay. stage. But generally what happens in most women is they get the virus in and then they clear the virus and it leaves their system. Mm. Whereas in some women it stays and persists and if it stays and persists and integrates itself into the cellular DNA, that's when you then get the risk of it progressing to actual cellular changes after the infection. Okay. So then what's the difference then between a pap test and a, and a cervical screening test? It's just the fact that you're looking for different, or now, as you say, you're looking at different layers um, of pathology. Yeah. So the, uh, the pap test was only looking at cellular changes. Mm -hmm. So once the virus had got into the cells and caused them to change, whereas the co-test or the cervical screening test um, now looks at the virus. So it detects the virus, which happens before you get any changes in the cells. So we're potentially picking things up much earlier. And then if women do have the virus, we're then looking at those women and we're then testing them for any cellular changes as well. And then the recommendations of what we do after that will be based on the result of that smear. And have they got lots of studies now where they've sort of followed the cervical screening program and seen that it's been beneficial? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly it's one of the most successful vaccination programs um, uh, in the world, and certainly in Australia, um, we've got a very high uptake of the vaccine. Uh, we've now moved into vaccinating the boys as well. Really? Um, yeah. Which wow. uh, and that just improves our herd immunity. So we're protecting the population as a whole. So those boys can't pass it back to the unvaccinated girls if there is some in that um, in wow. that population. When did that start? Uh, that's only just started in the last few years. Right. Uh, okay. uh, vaccinating the boys. Yeah. Um, but what that's meant is that we're we're dealing with a, a, a population now that's um, much less less likely to get a cervical cancer, which is good. Yes. Um, and then we uh, then we look at what happens after women get an abnormal cervical screen. So and then what, what happens? happens? When they get. So depending on the level of abnormality, if it's just the HPV virus or some very minor changes, uh, instead of going out to a five yearly interval, those women will be called back usually in six or twelve months, depending on the degree of concern of the on the screen mm. um, for a repeat. Uh, co-test so they and that time they will automatically do the virus test and the cell changes test as well so that's mm. why we call it a co-test um, or in some cases if there's already some cell changes um, then they'll be referred along for what's called a colposcopy oh gosh what's that <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds a bit scary it mo does mo most people come in and they're, they're petrified about Aww. what's going to happen but yeah. um uh, a colposcopy is really sort of, I guess, best described as just a glorified pap smear. Okay. Um, and that's done by a specialist as yourself? Yeah, so it's generally done by a gynaecologist or a gynaecologic oncologist. Um, mm. And what we do is it starts off basically very similar to when you have your cervical screening test. So um, it's examination with a speculum. Mm. And what we do then is we put a couple of different stains on the cervix um, and they help show up any cells that are different. So any cells that show any, any very early changes and we look at the cervix under a microscope. If anything does show up those stains, what we'll do then is we'll take a little biopsy. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, often a tiny little pinch of tissue. It's uh, usually smaller than a match head. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's different as far as how they feel that experience. Some women don't notice they've had a biopsy taken at all. Um, some women uh, feel a bit of a, a pinch or some crampy period-like pain, but others, depending on where they are in their cycle, um, may find it more uncomfortable. But by and large, most women tolerate the procedure uh, really quite well if it's done by someone who's experienced and knows what they're doing. And is that procedure always done in hospital or is it done in your in, in people's private rooms with a with under a little bit of anaesthetic, I would yeah. hope, or not really. So it's um, <laughs> it's it's such a quick little procedure, yes, and yeah, it probably only. I mean, the whole thing uh, from sort of walking in the door to walking out uh, and talking about it all mm. probably only takes about fifteen to twenty oh, minutes okay. or so. So it's really a very quick procedure. Um, and it's uh, generally doesn't need. Uh, anaesthetic um, and it's usually just done in, in doctor's rooms, rooms. Okay. Um, it d doesn't need a hospital admission or anything else like that unless there's some sort of specific particular difficulties with uh, with a patient and then when would you expect your results so is it something that you get results quite quickly usually takes most pathology places usually take around about a week to get results mm. um, and then the results, what we do is we look at the results of the biopsy because a biopsy obviously gives us a, a tiny little piece of tissue. Um, so rather than the, the co-test, uh, so the, the, 
bit mm. looking at the cells is really just a scraping of cells from the surface of the cervix. A biopsy gives us a piece of tissue that's targeted from the most abnormal looking area on the cervix. This means we've found the worst part on the cervix and we've mm. sent that along for further assessment. Because we actually have a little, tiny little piece of tissue, it can give us a much better idea of what's going on. Then we'll be able to decide whether that needs actual treatment or whether it just needs to be kept under observation. And then if you're needing treatment, what sort of treatment's involved? Mm. So basically when we start looking at the abnormalities, there's, mm. if we look at it broadly, there's two types of abnormalities. There's low-grade abnormalities that we don't treat and mm. they will be just the HPV virus effect or what we call low-grade squamous intraepithelial lesions. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a complex term. Yes. Or, or it used to be called more commonly CIN1, mm. um, which is like the first level of potentially pre-cancer changes. Now, those changes now, we don't treat any anymore. We, they used to be treated probably about 20 years ago, but mm. now we know that because the virus change is most likely transient, the majority of women will actually clear those changes and it will actually go away by itself wow. in time. But we just know through that period of time we need to keep a closer eye on them to mm. watch and to make sure that it doesn't progress at all. Mm. Then we have the women with high-grade changes. So high-grade changes that are proven on a biopsy, mm. and that's uh, the changes there we're looking at, a CIN2 or 3. Again, these changes aren't cancer. They're potentially pre-cancer changes. Um, but generally, when it comes to dealing with high-grade changes, we usually recommend treatment of those to reduce mm. the risk of progression. And what would that involve? So typically speaking, uh, most commonly there's a procedure called a LETS procedure, mm. which is a large loop excision of the transformation zone. Um, some people do it with a laser um, or a diathemy, so, which is just a, a device used to burn away the abnormal cells. Okay. Um, so that can be done in a, a number of um, different settings. Um, uh, some people do do it in their consulting rooms or sometimes hospitals have uh, little short stay units which are particularly well designed for mm. those kind of sort of like small surgical procedures. Um, it's generally done under a local anaesthetic and you can usually get a pretty good idea when the woman has the initial colposcopy and biopsy, whether they'll tolerate having uh, a LETS procedure under a local anaesthetic. Mm. Um, some women, if they find it a particularly troubling experience, then we can do it under a general anaesthetic. Um, but the vast bulk of women um, cope really well with having the procedure done under local and do fine with that. And so procedures and screenings such as this, this is saving lives and preventing people from actually developing mm. cervical cancer. Very much so, yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, Australia, we're very, very lucky in that we've uh, our cervical screening program over the years has, um, has really seen it's really probably halved the um, incidence of cervical cancer over that period of time. And now that we're moving into the population that's all been vaccinated against HPV, um, we're going to see even further decreases uh, in the incidence of cervical cancer. Mm. Um, we're already seeing significant decreases in pre-cancer type changes. Um, mm. But it, it takes time for us to see changes in cancer because from getting the HPV virus to actually getting a cancer, generally speaking, is probably around about 10 years on average from getting exposed to the virus and getting a cancer. There's 
one slightly different cell type that we didn't mention before, um, which sometimes comes back on either a smear or a biopsy. So most of the cell changes that we're talking about happen in the skin cells on the cervix, which are down on the outside of the cervix. Mm -hmm. So they're much easier for us to look at and assess. Whereas a small percentage of women do get pre-cancer changes within the gland cells of the cervix. Mm. Um, now that's called ACIS or adenocarcinoma in situ. Now wow. they make them long <laughs> and difficult to get your head around. <laughs> I know, and and that one sounds particularly scary because it says adenocarcinoma, and people yes. hear that bit yeah. and get worried that straight away they're dealing with a cancer. Mm. But it's the two little words after that where it says in situ, where it's actually just meaning pre. That actually means it's pre-cancer type changes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and a lot of people get that uh, confused That's quite with common? actual. Ca- Oh, the, the disease isn't common. It's much less common. Okay. But a lot of people get that terminology confused yes. and, and are, are quite anxious because of that. No, um, now, whilst we treat that in a similar type of way to changes in the skin cells, um, we uh, that will generally need a general anaesthetic because it's a bigger surgical procedure because we're trying to get the cells that are hiding up the canal of the cervix rather than down on the outside. We know that most women are, are exposed to the virus uh, probably in their teens or early 20s um, mm. and that most people do get the virus at some stage. So it tends to be a transient, low-grade thing in, in younger women. It's when it persists and, and stays around for a period of time. When we start looking at uh, pre-cancer type changes, probably the bulk of those that need treatment, so when we're looking at high-grade pre-cancer type changes, um, probably run through from around about 25 to 40 years of age. Um, and cervical cancers, probably about uh, the, the peak of that disease is probably around about 10 years after that. What's the vaccination age of young girls and now boys? Uh, so it's um, in just in the first year of high school now. So we're vaccinating okay. everyone at 12 years of age because it's very important that they're uh, vaccinated before they're exposed um, to the virus at all. Um, it's uh, a three-injection uh, program. And um, uh, as I was saying, it's been one of the most successful vaccination programs uh, that we've got. And we're already seeing such good decreases in the rate rates of uh, of disease which is um sort of really good to see yeah um because one of the downsides about treatment of um of cervical lesions is that you are removing a tiny little piece of the cervix mm. basically so it shouldn't be very deep when when we're treating these pre-cancer changes we're probably only looking about treating to a depth of around about seven millimeters so not very deep but it's still a piece of the cervix and we know that women who have these procedures do have an increased rate of preterm birth and preterm delivery and that's where the real downside of treatment is and why we've gone away i think we spoke earlier about the fact that they used to treat low-grade abnormalities Mm. and now we don't treat those because we know that there's a good chance they will go away by themselves Um, but by the same token uh, we're avoiding treating those women and avoiding um, uh, sort of their risk of obstetric problems down the track. And the treatment is very, very effective. Yes. Um, so it's got better than 95% um, cure rate yes. um, after the treatment. Um, after women have had treatment, we do keep a closer eye on them mm. uh, for a while. So they'll be having annual screens um, until 
their tests come back showing that they don't have the virus and they don't have any cell changes and they need to have a normal test like that twice in a row before mm. they can then go back to the five-yearly screening interval. And you're still finding a lot of women just getting the letters and, oh, I don't have time. <laughs> you know, do you see a lot of that or are we actually changing our psyche and really making much more an effort to make time to get the letter and do something about it? And it's, um, I mean, we, we do have good screening rates um, in this country. That's good. I mean, as a gynaecologic oncologist, um, I unfortunately see the cancers that come come through after this um, disease is, is not treated. Mm. And the majority of women that I see with cancers uh, and the majority of women that then have advanced cancers, which are beyond sort of the level that we can do surgical treatment for and might need chemotherapy and radiation most of those women have either never had a screen or mm. have been more than five years since their last screen so that just shows the importance of mm. um, of screening and that sort of most women who do have screened have things detected at a very early stage where we can treat before it becomes a cancer rather than having to deal with things once they become an actual cancer and need much more complex treatment Absolutely. And so just to end today's interview, what, what's then some key messages to drive home to us all to, to get that screening test done? So I guess uh, really, really important to have the vaccination. Um, it, uh, it really protects women against uh, sort of pre-cancer changes and cancer changes. And we've discussed the potential obstetric outcomes and the reason why that's uh, important to protect those women, not just from the cancer, but to prevent them from getting something that may affect them from mm. an obstetric point of view. Um, how important it is, even if you've had the vaccination, to have your cervical screening um, so that we can detect things when they're at an early and very treatable stage rather than waiting till things are much more complex and harder to deal with. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing this really important message about cervical screening and I hope mums and daughters out there uh, take a listen. Thank you. That's okay. A big thank you to Dr. Selfinger for sharing his time and knowledge with us today on Talk. And to learn more about Dr. Selfinger, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.